It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Six thirty, Chad. Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at six on Six Thirty, Chad. Try settle again. Shoots and scores. There's fifty from the right circle. Harris in the pocket. He's throwing. He's going down the rail. He's got a man open. It is complete, and he's going the distance inside the five. Touchdown, Eskimos. Ricky Collins Jr. Edmonton's home for breaking news on your favorite teams. This is Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on the voice of your Edmonton Oilers and Eskimos. 6.30 Chad. Three games left in the regular season for your Edmonton Oilers. Final home game of the exhibition schedule tomorrow when they take on the Arizona Coyotes at Rogers Place. Of course, we have it for you on 6.30, Chad, with the face-off show at 5.30. The game will start at 7. Then road games for the Oilers at Winnipeg Thursday at Calgary Saturday. And uh, we're going to have a good day on Saturday. Double header for you as the Eskimos will be in Ottawa Saturday afternoon trying to break their four-game losing streak. We will talk about both teams tonight. And, of course, at 7.30, the Eskimos coaches show with Jason Moss and Morley Scott. So the Oilers, after beating Calgary 6-2 on Friday, flew to Kelowna for the weekend, did not practice Saturday, practiced yesterday and today. Goaltender Mike Smith on the ice for both practices after getting over the flu and Oilers head coach Dave Tippett. This is uh, Sportsnet spec Mark Spector putting this out on Twitter earlier today. Mike Smith will start in goal tomorrow. So his first appearance in an Oilers uniform and uh, Dave Tippett also saying he will dress a veteran lineup at home tomorrow, then use those final two road games to settle out some of the training camp battles. Obviously some defense spots up for grabs, and they're still trying to nail down what's going to happen with uh, not just the bottom six, but I also think the sixth forward position, who's going to be the other winger with Nugent Hopkins and Neal. By the way, in a couple minutes, I'm I'm going to get to some uh, numbers here about the Oilers' depth scoring, and they may not make you smile. They didn't make me smile when I was looking at them. But Connor McDavid today asked, Hey, buddy, when are you going to play? Uh, I'm not sure. Just, you know, feeling good, that's all. All right, he's feeling good. He is skating well. He looks like the Connor McDavid you have come to know and love, but they have uh, yet to say exactly when he's going to suit up. I think he gets into at least one preseason game. And uh, as, as the Oilers have been saying, very optimistic he plays in the season opener, also the home opener. That's next Wednesday, October 2nd, against the Chicago Bears. But, of course, McDavid has been recovering since, well, the second weekend in April from that torn PCL. There was lots of uncertainty uh, just with, with injury and, and uh, lots of different stuff going on in the summer. So, you know, to feel good on the ice is, is something I'm real happy about. And, and the fact that we're even talking about games is, uh, is something that I'm real proud of. So... It's been a long summer, uh, lots of hard work, uh, work with lots of good docs, uh, lots of smart people, and um, I really, really appreciate all that they've done for me. 
All right, a little bit there from McDavid as uh, he inches his way back into the Oilers lineup. A lot of chalk talk with Dave Tippett at the practices in Kelowna as the team try to get, uh, tries to get their new systems down, get used to playing under Tippett. McDavid says, well, yeah, of course, you got to take some time to learn from the new coaches. Obviously, you got to learn a new system, and, and you take it day by day, and you focus on things each day. Um, you know, and it's, it's, it can be tough, but uh, you know, they've been real good at uh, you know, slowing it down for us and explaining it real good, and I think guys are starting to understand it. It's going to be uh, interesting once again to see how this unfolds for the Oilers with a, a new coaching staff. Dave Tippett, uh, known for having teams that play with a lot of structure. He has stressed several times, we got to keep the goals against down, and th- that's a pretty common refrain when a coach takes over a new team, but that really has plagued the Oilers a couple of years. They have to have better special teams, and he's talking more about defending and attacking at a five-man unit. I- I- again, I think a lot of things any NHL coach would be talking about whether he takes over when he takes over a new club. Will the players uh, do it for Tippett? Will the players have the talent and the ability to do what he wants? And that leads me to a discussion here regarding the secondary scoring, which, as you all know, as you all know, by the way, did I say the Oilers are playing the Chicago Bears in their home opener? He also said the regular season winds up in free games, too, off the open. Wow, I missed out of it today. (laughs) The Chicago Bears are playing... I was probably looking at the TV when I was talking about the Chicago Bears are playing Monday Night Football. Ooh. The Oilers' regular season opener is, is against the uh, Vancouver Lions. <laughs> Pardon me, the Canucks. All right. There you go. Thanks, uh, Richard, for catching that on the text line at 6.30, um, I think that noise of that strange animal threw me off at the end of the previous show. No, it didn't. Um, so here's the, th- here's the thing about the Oilers. And last year, we they had what we called the Big Three. Nugent Hopkins, McDavid, Dreisaitl. 28 goals for Nuge, 41 for McDavid, 50 for Dreisaitl. That's 119 goals combined by three players. That's pretty good for three guys to basically average 40 goals. They scored well over half of the goals scored by Oilers forward. The Oilers used 23 forwards last season. 23 forwards total. Everybody who played at least a game at the forward position. And forwards scored 199 goals. Those three guys scored 119 of them. They only scored 80 goals. Not by the big three. So the other 20 forwards the Oilers used combined to score a whopping 80 goals. And then when you factor in Chason and Cassian combined for 37 of them, you're left with 43 goals by 18 players. So, uh, yes, depth scoring obviously was an issue last year. Is it going to be better, any better this season? Well, I think there's some promise that it might be with James Neal perhaps being the biggest wild card because if he can get into the high teens or low 20s, that's pretty good. Here's the lines the Oilers rolled with today in Kelowna. McDavid centered Dreisaitl and Cassian. Nuge between Gagne and Neal. I don't know if Gagne is going to stay there. Shane between Kara and Archibald. Colby Cave centered Chason and Patrick Russell. Then you had Nygaard and Bertasov with Haas and Yurko on a four-man rotating line. Marcus Granlund did not practice today. So there's a group of 17 forwards. That group of 17 forwards 
in the National Hockey League last season combined to score 207 goals. Now, I, I am counting the goals scored by the big three. That's 88 goals not by the big three compared to 80 that the Oilers actually had on their roster last season. Now, some guys didn't play in the NHL, so wouldn't have had a chance, like Berdasov, like Gaetan Haas, like Nygaard, if those players stick around. I think Nygaard's going to be on the team. Haas has become a pretty big question mark to me. Berdasov, we clearly have to see more of. I think he showed some promise in the win over Calgary by Friday. He can shoot the, shoot the puck. I thought he moved and got a little bit more engaged than I thought he might play in his first game. So maybe there's someone there. So, but the suggestion that this this team has a lot more depth scoring than last year, I and I've I've believed that it have that it, that it that it does, but I don't know if it's going to take a huge step forward with the depth scoring. Now again, uh, who are you replacing? Well, you're replacing Milan Lucic, who only scored six goals. Now, Neil only scored seven, but I think Neil has more potential to get closer to his career average. Um, you had Toby Reeder, who didn't score any goals and actually played on the Oilers. Some of the guys who had zero NHL goals last season weren't in the NHL, so n- maybe not a totally fair comparison there. Uh, I think you know Archibald and Shane are guys who could probably get around 10. They had 12 and 9, respectively, uh, last season. Granlund had 12 last season. So I think there's the potential for the Oilers to have more depth scoring, but I don't think it's going to be a huge jump. Though, again, the wild card is Neal. If he goes off and has one of his better seasons and maybe gets 25-plus and the Oilers have a legitimate second line, then they're going to be quite a bit better, even if some of the guys lower down on the roster aren't able to do any much. So so just, just some numbers, though, to think about going into this season. And again, they not they aren't overly encouraging. 80 goals last season by forwards not named Nugent Hopkins, McDavid, or Dreisaitl. The current group of forwards not named McDavid, Nugent Hopkins, or Dreisaitl scored 88 NHL goals last season. So plus eight in the depth scoring department isn't going to do much. And plus you're banking on the big three to combine for 119 goals again, which is possible, but I, I wouldn't necessarily bank. I mean, if if Leon goes out there and scores 35 goals, I, I don't think that's a failure of a season just because he got 50 last year. No, I, th- I still think if he gets 35 to 40, that's a pretty good year. I think McDavid can get around 40 again, and I think Nuge can get between 25 and 30 again. So you got to remember the big threes production might come down. I think there's a very good chance that their overall production might come down and they can still have pretty good seasons. So can the other guys score at least a little bit more and then can they prevent goals better? Are they going to be better penalty killers? And I know somebody said this to me, the Oilers are going to try to play even when McDavid's not on the ice. What the, what the Oilers want to do this season is try to win the game in the 20 to 22 minutes McDavid and Dreisaitl are on the ice together. So they want other guys who can go out there, who can eat minutes, who can maybe be a little pesky, who can kill penalties, who can chip in the odd goal, and can at least tie those 38 to 4 minutes McDavid and Dreisaitl are not on the ice. And then you hope that that top line, McDavid, Dreisaitl, and whoever it is, it's going to be Cassian to start, wins the game, or they win it on their power play. That's that's I really believe that's Ken Holland's approach here. 
I, I don't think he has these fooling himself that that he can you know upgrade the the bottom six in one summer and the third line to have like a really potent third line. I think he's trying to get a third line that is competent and can check and can tie the game against the other team's third line. And, and hopefully the same for the fourth line. My name is Reed Wilkins, by the way. This is Inside Sports on 630 Chet. It is 617. The Chicago Bears, who I mentioned prematurely earlier, are in a scoreless tie early against Washington on Monday Night Football. Vinny says, does the 80 goals include Chason? Yes, it does, Vinny. It includes uh, Chason's 22 and Cassian's 15. Another texter predicts McDavid gets more than 40. I hope he does. He got 41 last season. You can also call 780-496-0063. We have a lot to talk about. The Eskimos, an absolute heartbreaking loss on the weekend after they fought back from a huge deficit. The U of A Golden Bears probably going to be nationally ranked in the top 10 for the first time in nine years. We'll get to that story. Edmonton's Plouffe sisters helping Canada win again on the FIBA 3X3 Tour. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. And I'm sure Kellen Kennedy will give us a full biography and personality breakdown of Lacey Evans. <laughs> All ahead, Inside Sports on 630 Chet. <laughs> Subscribe to the Inside Sports Podcast. Available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you find your podcasts. This is 630 Chad Inside Sports. All right, some breaking news here from the Canadian football. One of the breakout players in the CFL this season has been given a one-game suspension for what the CFL calls a dangerous and reckless Act. So the Montreal Alouettes will not have Vernon Adams at quarterback on Saturday when they visit the BC Lions. Morley Scott, our play-by-play voice for the Edmonton Eskimos here on 630 Chet, popping into uh, into studio. So just for people who haven't seen it, or just for a reminder, tell us about that. The play. Well, it was, uh, it, was, it was on Adam Big Hill, and what happened was they kind of went down in a heap after the play, and as they're going down, Vernon Adams reaches up and he just kind of grabs the ear holes, basically, of Adam Big Hill's helmet. As they fall, the helmet comes off, and then he just swings the helmet hits him in the head again with his, with his own helmet. And that's just a terrible play. Right? Mm-hmm. And uh, deserve it of a suspension, and, and all the right things were said by the Canadian Football League, except there's no flag on the play. Right. How come? I, I, that's, that's there wasn't the, anything on the play? There was nothing on the play. Uh, no flag on the play, and uh, there was nothing from the eye in the sky that's supposed to be looking for these things, right? So right. Uh, the the third check in the system to punish him came out. But, I mean, if he gets ejected from the game like he should have been, Winnipeg wins. Don't you think? Probably. Yeah. Well, well Vern, Montreal is an incredible story. Oh, Fantastic. So what fired, an entertaining who did they game fire that first? was. So they fired, Cavus fired Sherman, the coach. Mm-hmm. That was before the season? Uh, that was right at the end of the preseason, yeah. And then, what, a couple weeks into the regular season? Cavus gets fired. Cavus, the GM, gets fired. Yeah. yeah. And they were supposed to just be in disarray. Both games, both those events happened just before the Eskimos. Oh, right. Them, That's right. right. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so they're 7-5. and five. 
So, like, it's not an incredible record, but I will say this for the Montreal Alouettes. They are fun to watch. They are. They, I think they're the most fun team in the league to watch because you don't know, or even if they're out of it, you don't feel like they're actually out mm-hmm. of it. I mean, that's and that's what we've, one of our kind of complaints has been about the Eskimos this season. You feel if they're down 10, it's like, oh my God, Montreal, well, they're down 10, give them four minutes. Yeah. They might be up yeah, 10. Exactly. I mean, Adams gets out there and chucks it. He moves around. They... they I don't know what it's how they feel, but they look like they're they're just playing with no fear. Like Kahari's just saying, just go you know, play, boys. Yeah, everybody's written. It's like they're it's like they're on a playground, right? Yeah. They're just making plays happen. They're just having fun and and playing. And and there's a lot you hear a lot of the noise coming out of Montreal is that the team is is having fun and the players are so excited and they can't wait to play next week and and going forward. So uh, yeah, they're they're going to be a team to watch. And right now. Right now, it looks like that's that's who the Eskimos will play in the playoffs. Well, the Eskimos are, here's the thing, as poorly as the Eskimos have done lately, they, they're actually quite close to clinching a playoff spot, mm-hmm. and it would likely, they would likely wind up crossing over unless they go on a run and, and Saskatchewan really falls apart. Uh, I mean, Edmonton's magic number to finish ahead of the BC Lions is two, any combination of Eskimo wins and Lion losses. Y- yeah. Uh, and to finish ahead of Ottawa, I believe it's three. So if Edmonton beats Ottawa... On Saturday, they're they're virtually in. Uh, and you know, are you using the baseball? You're talking like the baseball combination of wins, combination, combination of, so of that wins that would, and losses. Saturday's yeah. win would be two taken down. Yeah, to one. yes, yeah, yeah exactly. Uh, and you would hope you know Montreal was going to help out the Eskimos a little bit on Saturday by by beating BC. Um, but I guess that's a little more debatable mm-hmm. now, if if because Pipkin would be the quarterback. Yeah, I would I would assume so, Antonio Pipkin. So, yeah, it's it's a weird situation. I think that what the CFL is going to come under fire for is the fact that you know there was no flag, there was no correction, right? And then after the comeback win, because the eye in the sky is supposed to be able to do. There are there are there, there are, are different rules. I'm not sure if they can just take control of the game. The the whole idea was not to have the eye in the sky referee the game from the sky, right. but they're supposed to pick out, as far as I'm understanding, blatant things that happen that the officials and miss. can't they even help with procedure or offside? Yes, they if, can. Or yeah, if, who the, jumped if the first line judges look, yes. look I, I, yeah. they both flinch at the same time. Yeah, I know they somebody jumped who went first and, right. and they'll look at the replay. But, but for a major foul, yeah. they're supposed to be able to jump in. Yeah. Okay. I would I would think, yeah, you saw... That, so the, the, so, me, so the, you, the, you, you believe the suspension is correct, the on-field enforcement was incorrect? Yes, that's okay. right. That's what I think. Yeah. All right. Morley, thanks for stopping. You I know you're getting ready for the coaching show. Morley Scott, well, he might even come on again later, too. Who knows? Just maybe the Morley in and out show. I'm just around. Just, just around the corner. Want some pizza? <laughs> coaching show with Morley and Jason Moss is at 7.30. Blake Dermott's going to hop on a little more on the Oilers. More on the U of A football team, the Plouffe sisters. Man, what a great story they've been for Edmonton and Canadian basketball this summer. All coming up. You're listening to 630 Ched Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. All right, so just to recap my evening so far, first half hour of my work week. I said the Edmonton Oilers are playing the Chicago Bears in their home opener. That'd be fun. And I said they have three games remaining in the regular season. Mm -hmm. Both incorrect. They have three games remaining in the preseason, and they will play the Vancouver Canucks in their home opener. The Chicago Bears have a defensive touchdown from one of the best names in sports history, Ha Ha Clinton Dix, with an interception return to the end zone. It is Chicago 7, Washington nothing, first quarter on Monday Night Football. All right, I'm going to stick with it. Who knows, maybe I'll get lucky and put one in off the upright. 
And the Ticats in a hurry up offense. Pitch it to the outside. Down the sidelines goes Banks again. He's already got the ball in the air at the 15-yard line. Touchdown, Hamilton. He takes a snap, drops, looks, and he's throwing deep, looking into the end zone, trying to get it to Ellingson. What a catch! What a catch by Greg Ellingson. Touchdown, Eskimos. There's the snap. Low snap. Ball is up, and it is through. Ticats win. It hit the bar, and it went in. Horrible snap. Dane Evans able to pin it. Haralahu gets the kickoff. It is drifting away, catches the upright, and goes through, and the Eskimos lose again. They've lost four in a row. They are now 6-7 and seven on the season. Man, they had that stretch of games, Winnipeg, Calgary, Calgary, Hamilton. They were 6-3, and three, and I was thinking, man, I wonder if they could even win two out of these four. Be, uh, you know, 8-5, and five, not bad going down the stretch. No, did not win a single game. And, that, man, that was a weird one on Friday. They were getting blown out, fought all the way back, fell behind again by three, came back again but uh, couldn't get the stop on the final drive as we bring aboard our Eskimos analyst, Blake Dermott. Blake, how are you doing? I'm doing fine, Reed. Good to talk to you again. And, uh, man, what a game on Friday. I'm just going to start at the beginning because, you know, I was kind of keeping an eye on it while I was at the Oilers game on Friday. And those two long bomb touchdowns where I I was like, what defense are the Eskimos playing? I, I doubt that was the call to just stand there and let Hamilton receivers run past everybody. But that's what happened. What happens on plays like that, Blake? Well, I think obviously there's some miscommunication where, where somebody is uh, thinking that, uh, you know, that the other guy's doing his job or vice versa, and uh, and you know sometimes that can that can happen. You know, there was a, there was a number of changes within the Eskimos. Uh, I think they had five new guys on the roster. Uh, four came off. Uh, sometimes that miscommunication could just be. You know, just didn't get the words out, didn't uh, didn't uh, understand the call, uh, didn't get the signal, but but it seemed to be a little bit of a pattern in that first half. And uh, when two deep balls were, and, and the guys were uh, uh, quite a bit behind the defense coverage, and then it happened in in the third quarter as well, but the ball was overthrown. So there was some problems in on the defense uh, uh, in in Friday's game, and of course. The uh, the Eskimo offense started that first half. I, I think they started five starts or six starts inside their 20-yard line. So it was a combination of really tough field position and uh, and defense uh, making some uncharacteristic errors, especially in that secondary. And and all of a sudden, by the time the Eskimos sort of gave their heads a shake, it was 24 nothing. Yeah, well, and I got to give them credit for coming back because I I mean I was watching that. I'm like, God, this is going to be 41-3. I mean, Hamilton's a great team, but the Eskimos fought back. They made some plays. They got a special teams return from Christian Jones that led the points. Ellingson made a great catch. I played that in the highlight pack and and the quarterback hung in there and Logan Kilgore, you know, hadn't hardly played this season. Hadn't wasn't even in pro football last year. How do, how do you assess his performance? And, and I guess I'll ask you this too, Blake. Do you assess him the same way you would have, would have assessed Trevor Harris's game, or do you or do you give him more more leeway for some of the mistakes? Even though you know the old saying is they're all pros, they got to step in there and play. How, what sort of report card would you give him? No, I, I think that as and the coaches, administration, the Eskimos, uh, uh, Logan himself would would be assessing himself as a professional football player, and uh, I think early in the game. 
there was there was some struggles. There was some, and I don't know if it was with respect to timing because they never seemed to get anything going uh, with with any kind of uh, flow early in the game, and that was offset by the defense giving up touchdowns like they did. So it was really uh, uh, a complete, you know, uh, as I said, a disaster that first half with the Eskimos, and, and ultimately. With the last minute, uh, Logan Kilgore was able to sort of grab hold of, his, hold of the offense and get him down the field and score it on the last play of the basically the last play of the half, and and that was the big bright spot. But it was at that point, though, the the Eskimo offense kind of figured it out, and, and I think in the in, in overall, in the defense gave uh, got four sacks uh, on on Hamilton, and uh, so the defense sort of started to figure it out as well in the second half, and it was just a, a much better game. Uh, special teams was was the one bright light and the consistent part of the the, the Eskimos uh, game that on Friday the you know the big long return the consistent uh, uh, controlling the the returners of Hamilton and uh, and good kicks um, but the the offense and defense to, if they if they would have played the three quarters of that game instead of just the half. Um, the Eskimos would have won that. Would have come away as the victors. Well, yeah, I mean, if you would have told me they were going to outscore Hamilton, uh, what would have been twenty-seven six over the last two and a half quarters of the game, I would have, yeah. I would have taken that all, all day long. But they just the, the, their bad quarter was just just so bad. So that was pretty pretty frustrating. Um, the, the the final kick, Blake. I mean, you've you've probably been in that situation as a player where you're kind of either like, oh my god, I can't believe we got that, or you lose and you're thinking seriously, that's how we're going to lose this game. Yeah, you know. Um, I, if you if you play the sport long enough, you're going to experience. Uh, uh, if you play any sport long enough, you're going to experience those kinds of uh, games where, you know, you feel that at the end of the game you deserve a better fate, and uh, and maybe they did because uh, in the second half the Eskimos, as you mentioned, the defense, after giving up almost 250, 260 yards of offense in the first half, I think they finished the game with a, a net offense for Hamilton of 363 yards or something. So they really held that offense to 100 yards. And as you mentioned, it scored them twenty-seven to, to uh, twenty-seven. To, was it seven? Twenty-seven to seven. seven six would have been or a six. Twenty-four nothing. Yeah. Yeah, it was. Uh, it was just a, a tale of two games. But in the end, Hirolahu uh, uh, got lucky with that kick because, it, as you mentioned, in the, it was a bad snap. It was a, a good hold, but they and then you know, to bring it off the upright. And if it's two inches to the left, the thing is uh, a dead ball, and and uh, it goes into overtime. And you know, that was what I thought was going to happen. I mean, we came in at half at halftime, the analysis at halftime, and it was really tough to be positive about anything. And then about halfway through the third quarter, you're going, wow, a football game just broke out. And <laughs> I think it was exciting for the fans. And, and it, it really showed something because, like we talked about after the broadcast, the, you know, this was, this was not, uh, like, uh, this was still a loss. And, and it's tough to, to make it anything but that, you know. But this was an outstanding effort for half the game against one of the top teams, arguably the top team in the league. And uh, uh, they played really well. And they have not done that against really good teams very well this year, uh, very often. I mean, they haven't, they haven't beat a, uh, a team that's ahead of them uh, this year. So, so this was, this was a, maybe this was the thing that the Eskimos needed. Maybe this was that pivotal turning point, you know, with five games to go, there's, there's some time left. To be able to make some hay, and uh, and if they, I think they got to win maybe two more games or one more game, and they're pretty much guaranteed a, a playoff spot. So so all's not lost, but you got to start getting momentum. You got to start turning this thing around and getting some momentum as you go into playoffs. Otherwise, 
it's it's going to be a, a short uh, playoff run. Yeah, and, and it's it's always interesting talking about talking about losses, and in, in pro sports, you're you're not going to win them all. So sometimes you have to say, or at least I think, okay, you lost. How did you play? And you you are going to lose close games where you just don't have the ball at the end, or it bounces in off the upright. But they, they've lost four in a row, right? And, and I was I was saying before you came on air, they're six and three at the half point. They had Winnipeg, Calgary, Calgary, Hamilton, and I'm thinking, great, big test. Maybe they can win two of those four, hang in there, and they're eight and five headed down the stretch. Maybe that won't be enough for first, but maybe they're still fighting for a home game. So that you know, I, I, I again, as a one-off, I look at the Hamilton game and say, you came back with your backup quarterback. <laughs> And, and went back and forth in the fourth quarter and, and didn't have the ball at the end. I can't get upset about it, but I, I look at the last month as a whole, and I think a lot of people are, are pretty upset. And I also think, Blake, and this is kind of want to ask you a big picture type question, I, I, I think you can't help but look back at last year and say they were 6-3 and three at the halfway point and finished 9-9. Nine and nine. Now, yeah. they, they might be... They might actually be worse than nine and nine this year and make the playoffs, whereas they didn't last year. But it is it is an overall trend that the second half of the season has been much poorer than the first half. Yeah, and I, I can't explain it uh, because this I think this year's team, on paper in the locker room, is an infinitely better team than it was last year. Uh, they are more solid throughout. Uh, they've had this. This was really uh, you know the first game in in six games, anyways, where the Eskimos played with essentially start offensive line that they started the season with and uh and the offensive line played played pretty well i thought logan Kil- uh, they gave logan kilgore lots of time um they uh they, they they solidified that part for the offense um and and then as you said you know hey let's let's put things in perspective the, the defense did play better in the second half offense certainly played better in the second half so these guys know they have it in them but we, we you talked about the four games that they played that first game that they played against Winnipeg, they had over 500 yards of offense, if I remember right, and Winnipeg had like 240 yards. Like that, they did not play terrible in that game. They just didn't score. And, and, uh, and in this game, they had a chance to win this game. They legitimately had a chance to win this game. The two games in the middle against Calgary were the ones that were, that were a little bit troubling for me because they never seemed like they were ever in those games. Even though when you look at it, and I know Jason Moss has painted a different picture, they were two or three plays away from winning uh, at least that first game in Calgary. But Edmonton has just, they haven't won in four games. It isn't that they have played terrible in four games. They just haven't won in four games. Yeah, and, and it's frustrating. And I, but one thing I always say, Blake, too, show me, show me a good team and I'll show you a team that can win when it's not having its best day. Yeah, no, I agree with you. So, yep. And, and, and that good teams would have, would have found a way to, especially when Edmonton tied the game up with, what was it, 40 seconds to go and allowed... Uh, Hamilton to come down the field in in relatively short period of time to be able to have an opportunity to kick the field goal and uh, and you know so when defense needed to come up with a stop they didn't come up with a stop and and then the offside penalty ultimately helped them not just get that first down but then run for nine yards I I mean if that if that kick is ten to fifteen yards further back it's it's wide yeah and it doesn't go through the end zone. Jones runs it out, and you're going to overtime. So, yeah. but this is this is the problem with losing, though. You're sitting here, what if, what if they're not getting the plays on the right side of the ledger uh, often enough? Okay, uh, Ottawa. I mean, you got to jump on these guys, right? They are in a, in a world. Or what did they score? Twelve points combined in two games against BC. Yeah, um, I think. Uh, and then the other thing too, with the Eskimos being on an extended road trip, uh, Jason Moss is saying that. Maybe it's important for these guys to get out of town, to get away from 
the negativity that's that's surrounding the organization right now and 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 sort of do some bonding and solidify that and i've you know i've been involved involved in those long eastern road swings where you go two games and and uh i i can't remember one that didn't work out positively for us and we didn't always win both games but we were certainly a better team when we got back than we were when we left and and uh, uh going into ottawa um with Ottawa in a situation where they're at, um, struggling like they are offensively, and the Eskimos seeming, seemingly uh, getting their act together in the last game against uh, against Hamilton, um, I think this could be the, uh, the the proper medication for what ails them right now. And uh, and then and then if they can build off of that game and then go into the next one, then you know maybe this is that thing as we were talking about that you want to be able to build some momentum, and they have time to do that. Um, this this would be the, the right time of the year to be able to do it. Blake, always a pleasure, man. Hope you're doing well. We'll talk to you next week. All right, Reed. Thanks a lot. Blake Dermott checking in, our Eskimos analyst here on 630 Chad. 30-27, Hamilton winning it on the brick field at Commonwealth Stadium on Friday night. Eskimos fall to 6-7. and seven. This texture says, uh, Reed, I just don't understand the Eskimos play calling. They keep trying the same thing over and over with limited success. That is from uh, concerned lifetime fan Squirrel. That's a heck of a handle. Yeah, well, we've discussed that at various times throughout the season about the play calling on offense. It's, you know, when you call those short passes and you're getting tackled after two or three yards or hit as soon as the receiver catches the ball, it's it's pretty frustrating. Look, I'm not an offensive coordinator. I've never had to design a, a an offensive play or try to outmatch what a defensive coordinator is doing this. Is doing. I can only tell you what I observe from watching football my entire life and talking to people like Blake. If you're going to call the short passes, you better be getting it to the guy while he is in motion. You know what? You know who called? You know who threw a lot of short passes in his career? Anthony Calvillo. Montreal Alouettes under Anthony Calvillo threw a lot of short passes, but they had the timing down. They would get the blocking and they would throw it to guys who were moving. And yeah, sure, they, they would use that to open up for longer passes. So, you know, short passes in the CFL are not unusual. They're not uncommon. I mean, Brandon Banks scored it on a touchdown that he caught behind the line of scrimmage, you know, but he's fast and he got it in motion and Hamilton blocked it up. Uh, but I do think at times there's probably been some stubbornness from Jason Moss in the play calling where you'd like to see him maybe move away from some of the plays or incorporate you know, a jet sweep or fake a jet sweep or move guys around a little differently. Uh, so, so fair comment for sure. It is 6.49 Inside Sports on 6.30 Shed. This portion of the show presented by Furnace Family. Experience the Furnace Family difference. Your furnace replacement specialist with over 500 five-star Google reviews. Call 7804-FAMILY or visit FurnaceFamily.com. <laughs> This is Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Edmonton Sports Leader, 630 Chad. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. 
Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Monday Night Football, last minute of the first quarter, Chicago 7, Washington nothing. Peter texting in, he says, hey, Reed, common denominator for both years, but the Eskimos is the head coach. He's not good enough. Brock Sunderland should be scouring for a new head coach for next year. Moss's schemes are boring and predictable. That is Peter texting 630-630. You are welcome to text there as well. You can also call 780-496-0063. Well, the Eskimos couldn't win it on Friday night, but there was a pretty big highlight from that game at halftime. Ricky Ray going on the Wall of Honor. Man, it's it's great to be back here where it all started uh, way back in 2002. Um, feels like I'm coming home. And uh, I. Every time I came out here in the stadium, I would see the names um, up on the wall of honor. And, you know, I dreamed of being up there one day and wishing that I could do do enough for this team and this franchise to uh, have a chance to be up there one day. And um, I'm just so thankful that I got an opportunity to play with such amazing teammates, um, be a part of such a great organization, you know, one that really cared about football, you know, about family, about community, and uh, to be standing up here in front of you guys one more time and to be able to celebrate this with you and my family, some of my former teammates, uh, this is something I'm going to remember for the rest of my life, you know, my family, my wife, Allison, and Dodgers, Chloe and Olivia here to share this with me and uh, you know my my old teammates uh, thanks for being here and you fans um, we, we shared some pretty special moments here haven't we um, your guys's commitment your passion your, uh, your demand for excellence drove me to try and be the best player that I could. And uh, I just want to say thank you and thank you to the Eskimo organization, all the support staff, you know, my teammates, all the alumni. Uh, being a part of the Eskimos has been truly the, one of the greatest gifts of my life. Thank you very much. Ricky Ray at halftime on Friday night. Pretty cool. All right, we're going to break for the 7 o'clock news. We have the Eskimos Coaches Show with Moss and Morley at 7.30. Uh, I'm going to get to a couple events I attended on the weekend. The U of A Golden Bears football team. Man, they're a thing. Finally, 3-1. and one. And the Plouffe Sisters from right here in little old Edmonton. A remarkable run in 3x3 basketball to close out that season. Winning in their hometown at West Edmonton Mall yesterday. Pretty cool. All ahead on Inside Sports. 630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad.